0: Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 173 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is Chris coming to you from Austin, Texas. Excited to be back with you on a solo episode, just me this time. And we're going to be talking about how to bounce back from a tough race. I've had a few athletes going through this recently, either because they just had a tough race or maybe they had a tough race last fall. And They're reloading now to try to get that redemption, and they're struggling a little bit with letting go of that last tough race. So we're going to talk today about how to process a tough race, not only in the moment, but also then move past it in training, and then when you do get to that redemption race, make sure you have the right mindset going into it. So we'll talk about all of those things But first, I've got a few things I wanted to chat about quickly before we jump into the main topic. First on that list, I wanted to talk about a question I've been getting a lot recently, which is how to think about the Boston Marathon and the potential threat of cancellation from the coronavirus. Right now, you can get updated directly from the BAA on their latest response to the coronavirus the last update they put out was on March 6th which basically says that they're just working with local agencies and other government agencies to try to figure out the right way to plan for a successful 2020 Boston Marathon and so there's no no plans to cancel at this very moment but it's hard to know what's going on there behind the scenes And especially given the recent cancellation or at least postponement of Paris Marathon, the cancellation of Rome, as well as the cancellation of the citizens race in Tokyo, it's hard to believe that the Boston Marathon won't be affected in some way. And I know many people are asking, will it be canceled and how do I plan for that cancellation? And at this point, my best advice for anyone who might be training for Boston is to proceed as planned. I exchanged text messages with one of my athletes today, and I simply said this, it's better to be ready for nothing than not ready for something, which is that basically the only thing you can do, given the information that you have right now, is to keep training as you would for the Boston Marathon on April 20th. Better be prepared and ready to go assuming things will happen now that may not happen but I think that you have to trust the BAA and others that will have plenty of time to make adjustments if they do decide to push the race later obviously it raises a lot of questions about what will happen and will people be able to defer to a future race and all these other things well there's a lot of things you cannot know And there's no point in speculating, in my opinion, about what those things will be and how that will all play out. The best thing to do is just to plan and continue to move forward as if the race is happening, both with your training and with any other arrangements that you might be making. Now, I do think the one prudent step that I would recommend in terms of having options is thinking potentially about a plan B if the Boston Marathon were to be canceled or postponed like paris i I think you do want to consider alternatives if you can't race on april 20th then is there another potential race that you could do maybe a local race that uh, that potentially wouldn't be affected by the issues associated with the coronavirus now it's hard to speculate about how any race might be affected but we do know that the la marathon went off without a hitch this past weekend and presumably races that draw from a smaller population set than the Boston Marathon could potentially still be happening. So I would maybe plan to do a local marathon or at least think about a plan B marathon that might be closer to you that might draw from a more local population that might have a smaller footprint that could potentially still be going on if Boston doesn't happen. Now there may not be a perfect option for you, in which case, obviously that's gonna make that thought process more challenging. But I think all you can do right now is continue training as planned, continue operating more as normal, and wait and see what happens. I do believe, don't know, but I do believe that the BAA will give us plenty of notice on this because of all the travel associated with with this and all the planning associated with this. So I would anticipate that we would have a decision by the beginning of April, but I still think we're probably three weeks at least away from having a firm decision from the BAA. So while you can monitor things now, I think they're going to wait as long as they potentially can before making this decision. And I think in the meantime, all you can do is keep plowing ahead. Keep doing your training as you normally would so that you can be prepared. You do not want to to step away from that now and then have everything turn for the positive as we all hope and have that race still go on. Interestingly, as some may have heard before on this podcast, the Boston Marathon is the longest or oldest continuously run marathon, having started in 1897 and it's been it's been run every year since. The only older road race in North America that's not a marathon distance is the Buffalo Turkey Trot there in upstate New York. And it's also worth noting that the Boston Marathon hasn't always been intact in terms of a marathon distance. One year during, I believe it was World War I, the marathon was actually done as a relay between competing military groups in order to still have an event while this, while other resources were being utilized for the war efforts. So it's the oldest continuously run marathon in the world having happened every year since 1897. And it would be a big deal having to to cancel that for this for a year. So I know that, Boston Marathon will make the best decision possible. I do trust the powers that be there, and I think that's all we can do is trust that they'll make the right decision given all the circumstances. And so for those that are training for it, keep your head down, keep training, keep operating as if it's going to happen, and then wait and see. But I still think there's probably at least three weeks, I'm speculating, at least three weeks before we'll have a firm decision or a more firm decision on that. So you've got some time to wait, wait but keep training. So that's one point because I have gotten that question from a few of you. And again, I'm just speculating, but that's how I think about it right now. The second thing I wanted to talk about before we turn to our main topic is just to honor and recognize the fact that yesterday was International Women's Day. And this, by the way, is Women's History Month to me important to recognize that and to acknowledge those women in our lives who are leading and inspiring us. So I wanted to give a few shout outs to a few women in my life in honor of International Women's Day that inspire me, that drive me on. And this is by no means an exhaustive list, but first just wanted to recognize my wife who is one of the smartest people I know and also... One of the best I know at connecting with people and having empathy for people. And that's a characteristic of hers that I really admire. But she's someone who is a partner, certainly in our relationship, both as an equal in our relationship, but also an equal as parents to our three kids. And she supports me. In my pursuit of my passion in this career that I've chosen in the sport of running, and it hasn't always been easy to make the shift from my more corporate job 10 years ago to a career that's been focused on running and my passion for changing lives through this sport. It hasn't always been easy, but she has supported me through all of it, and I couldn't be more thankful of that support. So Shout out to my wife for being my better half and for helping me with all that I do. Then I want to give a shout out to some other women in my life that I really are inspired by, or at least that I maybe follow and watch. First of those would be a group. The U.S. Women's National Team for Soccer is, and and there are certainly individual names on that team, that I can point to as inspirational, but I think if you follow that team at all, you will find that every single player on that team is inspirational for a whole host of reasons from Megan Rapinoe and her brashness and her panache and her the way she plays with confidence and the way she speaks with confidence about topics that are really important and relevant and how she's an advocate not only for herself and her teammates but for those that need to be advocated for and that's just one example but there are many on that team they're currently playing in the she believes cup so i got to watch a game of theirs yesterday that was a hard-fought tough 1-0 victory against spain and The way they play so fearlessly and with such teamwork all the while while they're fighting this fight for equal pay that no doubt takes attention away from the game is just really, really inspiring to me. So shout out to the U.S. Women's National Team. I believe everybody should be a fan. And if you dig into their stories, you will be. They play again this coming Wednesday night against japan to finalize or to finish that she believes cup tournament and if they get a tie or win then they'll have the victory again and i think the u.s women's national team to me is a team that if they're playing i am watching i'm gonna put it on my dvr or i'll watch it in real time i don't care whether it's the world cup last summer or anything else they're inspiring to watch so I would encourage you to follow them if you don't already then turning to some running with some running women that I'm inspired by. First, I'll mention Desiree Linden because of what I think she represents as a, as a leader in our sport. She is to me the perfect, perfect example of how hard work and integrity and doing things the right way can lead to A powerful, inspiring, and fulfilling career and life, and does with her mantra of keep showing up and her ability to just keep showing up and then get that victory in Boston two years ago. But whether or not she got that victory, I think she's still inspiring because she shows up. She's the same person every single time you hear somebody talk to her or whenever she's interviewed. You know, she's doing the work behind the scenes. She may not have the most talent, but she just keeps doing the work, executing on her plan, executing consistently in races. And it's it's inspiring. I think about Dez when I don't want to run, when the alarm goes off and I don't want to get up, when I don't feel like doing that workout or those extra miles. I think about Dez because I know Dez is showing up. She's doing the work. And when she does the work, she gets the results maybe not every time but eventually she gets them and i think it was also inspiring to see her get fourth at the olympic marathon trials the the agonizing fourth place position and yet still show class and still be so happy and proud of those other top 3 and still you know while admitting disappointment still talk about how she's going to keep working she's got boston next so Shout out to Des Linden for International Women's Day. Also wanted to shout out to my co hosts for the Clean Sport Collective podcast, Shanna Burnett, Kara Goucher. Two women that it's been such an honor to work alongside them for that cause. Shanna, I don't think, gets the recognition that she deserves. She operates behind the scenes. She's Kara's agent, but also Kara's advocate. And has at her own at her own will become this clean sport advocate. she's the one that's responsible for cl- creating clean sport collective, filing all the paperwork to get that to be a nonprofit, helping coordinate all the details of that behind the scenes without anybody watching so that we can create this platform for talking about clean sport on the podcast. She get, she helps gets the, get, get our guests, coordinates our topics, and does most of the social media. She's doing a lot behind the scenes without ever being recognized for it. She's also a mom of three, works for Ultra, is super savvy as a business person in marketing and PR, and is just somebody that it's been a real pleasure for me to get to know and an honor for me to work with her. I've learned so much from her. I'm inspired by her. She operates in many ways like I do and in a sense that I don't like getting attention or recognition for things. I just like getting results and having impact. And that's the way Shanna is. She doesn't need the recognition. She doesn't need the attention. She just wants to have impact. She just wants to create a better sport for the future. For her kids, for my kids, for all of us. And it's been really an honor as I said working with her on that platform and then of course got to talk about Kara. I fumbled a little bit in the episode last week when she thanks me for her for my help with the Clean Sport Collective and I didn't really know how to say or what to say or how to respond and I don't think I was very eloquent in my response but being able to get to know her has been really inspiring. I mean, I was already inspired by her as a fan but when you get to know her what you see is that what you see is what you get. There is no what you all see in her interviews and her conversations and and, and what she's done for this sport. It's the exact same as what you would get talking to her one-on-one or in person. She's the same person. She believes wholeheartedly in the topics that she advocates on from clean sport to dream maternity to making a safer sport for women, to advocating with USATF and the World Athletics for shoe regulations. She cares about all of it and has made great personal sacrifices to speak up on these topics, things that affect her marriage and her child and her personal emotions and well-being and it's hard. and the stuff you see, you know, the the attacks she gets from people who will come will come at her on social media. It's it's terrible and it's heartbreaking and yet she does it anyway. She continues to stand up, speak for the truth, and that's the way it should be. We need more people like Kara who are willing to stand up and and sacrifice themselves for the Betterment of our sport, of our future as humans. And so I wanted to recognize her, thank her for all that she's doing for our sport. It's a real honor to stand with her and with Shanna on this topic of clean sport because I truly believe it's important for the future, not only for my kids, but for all of us. And I do think we can make it better. As fans, if we speak out, if we continue to demand change, if we become educated and then can better demand change from the governing bodies. So I'm proud to be a part of it with them, but all credit to them. Shanna for creating the Clean Sport Collective, Kara for championing the cause, and the two of them for being great partners as we put out the Clean Sport Collective podcast. Hopefully some of you have listen to that one. I will say also that just one final shout out to a strong woman. Olafine Tulimuk was our most recent guest on that podcast, the Olympic marathon trials champion. I would highly encourage you to listen to that episode. I was, Kara and Shanna led it, but I was listening to it as the interview happened. And it, some of, some of the things she talks about brought tears to my eyes, or at least emotions in terms of how she talks about her passion for nursing, how she talks about her passion for clean sport and wanting to inspire young girls. It's just really, really inspiring. So final shout out to Olafine Tulemuk, Olympic trials champion, who's going to Tokyo to represent us. We couldn't have a better representative heading to Tokyo for us, as well as those other ladies, Molly Seidel and Sally Kipiego. So, there you go. wanted to quickly shout that out, shout out those ladies for being or women inspiring me for inspiring me for fueling my fire in what I do to advocate for our sport and then you know, I can't help but add one other note to my dudes to my to the the men out there to the guys that are listening. I think sometimes and Believe me, there are times when I fall into this trap as well, whether intentional or not. But I think many times men become threatened or get defensive when we talk about empowering women or when we talk about women's rights or when we talk about giving more women a platform on any topic or when we talk about more women in in politics or whatever it may be. We become defensive and pull back or sometimes try to mansplain why you know xyz happened to to a woman out there and i don't know why that is you know i think part of it becomes or maybe perhaps comes from our programming as men to to sort of take and hold on to power and defend it at all costs but I've been trying in my own head and hopefully you guys here coming through in the podcast to change my orientation when I see a strong, woman, a strong woman advocating for something or talking about something or telling her own story, just trying to change my orientation. And so uh, there's a few things that I think we should do as men to help support the strong women in our lives. One is listen. First step, listen. Listen, listen, and listen some more. Just listen. Try to understand. I think we're too quick as men to jump in with our own opinion or to try to take over the conversation. Stop that. Just listen first. Second, believe and affirm. Whatever a woman's saying, believe her. Affirm what she's saying. Agree. And even if you don't agree... Affirm her right to have that perspective. So, first, listen. Second, believe and affirm. Third, ask her how you can help, how you can be an ally in her cause. As a part of that, resist the temptation to add your own opinion or to try to take over the conversation or take over the action steps and do instead of. I think the important thing here is to come alongside, listen, believe, affirm, and then ask how you can help. Be a servant to the women, the strong women in your life that have a cause, that have something to say. Ask them how you could help elevate their cause, magnify their voice. Let them take the top of the podium, the top step Let them speak their truth and stand alongside or even below or next to and just help however she tells you that you can. And that's all we can do. Or that's the best, I think, thing that we can do. And if she asks you to lead, lead. But if she doesn't ask you to lead, don't feel like you have to. And I know that's hard. It's hard for me even as someone who i believe is trying to orient myself the right way on these topics but it's still hard i still have these instincts to want to interject my own opinion or maybe even get defensive sometimes or take over and try to say no we should do it this way so i don't know you probably don't like me talking about these things but listen believe affirm Ask how you can be an ally. Those are, to me, the three steps about how we can support strong women. So with that, I'll get off my little soapbox there and just say again, happy International Women's Day. Thanks to all the women who listen to this podcast. Really appreciate you. Thanks to all the men as well. I'm sure both of you, men and women, have had a race that didn't go well. And I must say that as a coach, I've had these situations, too, where when I coach an athlete and their race doesn't go well, then I have to do my own processing of that race because I really get bought in. And as I tell my athletes, their goal is my goal. And if they don't get it, then I feel like I didn't get it, not because I needed it for me, but because I want it for them. And so I have to process it as a coach anytime an athlete doesn't have a good race. And, of course, I also have my own races where I have to process what happened and so I want to talk a little bit about today about how you can work through that I wanted to also point you to a couple of other episodes episode 51 where we talk about dealing with failure also wanted to to point you to episode 113 that I actually did with Kara Goucher talking to my athlete Jean Rigotti after she had had a tough race at CIM in 2018 those two episodes, I think, also provide some tidbits and nuggets that I think would be helpful for those that might be processing a tough race. But wanted to cover it a little bit more explicitly and pointedly in this episode as a dedicated topic. So here we go. I'm going to kind of b- divide this into three parts of the discussion. First is what to do immediately after. Second is how to process it once you've gotten through those 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 immediate emotions and then what to do getting back into training and then third how to approach your redemption race how do you turn a negative and a positive and put that fear aside from that tough race before and make sure it doesn't happen again and of course that's no guarantee that it won't because sometimes we have a string of these results that don't quite go our way and 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 that happens. That's normal. But again, all these steps will still apply in those situations as well. I also wanted to, before I jump into that kind of immediate aftermath after a bad race, I also wanted to set the appropriate context, which is that I think oftentimes as athletes we get very focused on our last result and we define ourselves, so to speak, on our last result, when really it's the body of work that matters. And so for me, as just one example, between 2004 and 2014, I did not PR in the marathon. It it took me 10 years to get another marathon PR after my PR in 2004, from 24 years of age to 34 years of age. 10 years now on the surface you look at that and you say well Chris you just you didn't get any better you hit a 10 year plateau and you know with those two data points you know a race time from 2004 and a race time from 2014 you might be able to draw that conclusion and just say "Ah, yeah you, you, you plateaued you were as good as that for those 10 years but really When I I dig underneath it, the, the story is much deeper and richer than that because in spite of the fact that I didn't have a PR in 10 years for the marathon, I had PRs at a lot of distances. I also was doing over that time, building my mileage and being able to do more training than I had ever done. I was building a foundation with my training that still serves me today over those 10 years. And just one race distance got the best of me for those 10 years for a variety of reasons. Some of that's because I stepped away a little bit from the marathon for part of it. Had a little bit of a triathlon phase where I was doing some half Ironmans and being less focused on the marathon. Also had three kids during that time frame and so had some life transition happen that meant... You know there were some windows where I wasn't training as 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 exactly as I wanted because I was prioritizing other things, and then I also had some just bad races that were bad for a variety of reasons, from bad weather to work stress getting in the way of a potential PR that caused me to be flat on a given day, and so there was a variety of reasons that I just didn't have the marathon that I had perhaps trained for in that window of ten years, but the body of work still showed a vast and strong upward trajectory. And I think it's important, and it's hard in the moment, but it's important in general to make sure that when you're evaluating your own running career, you're making those big steps backwards at times or steps up, to just look at it on a whole, to reflect on how far you've come, to reflect on the fact that it's not always about PRs in terms of being able to show defined progress. And it's important context to remember in general. It's hard to keep that in mind in the immediate aftermath after a tough race. And so that's why I wanted to say that at the beginning, because you know maybe you haven't had a tough race recently. But at least use this conversation as an opportunity to reflect on your last two, three, five, ten years of, of work, however long you've been into at this game, maybe six months. And just reflect on how far you've come, pat yourself on the back for the progress that you've had you have made, whether or not your PRs perfectly show it, because the evidence will also be showing up in the work that you've done, the multiple distance perhaps distances perhaps that you've raced. The mileage you put in, maybe the distances that you've covered that you'd never covered before, there's a lot of ways to define success and just make sure that you do take those moments periodically outside of racing windows and just reflect on that. I think it's important to keep us grounded in the overall progress that we're making but let's t- let's jump in to. Again, three parts, immediate aftermath, what to do next once you get to a logical place and how to adjust training. And then three, how do you approach that next race so that you don't bring baggage from that bad race into it? So immediate after, And you'll hear people talk about this all the time. And you might hear different timeframes, but my best advice after a tough race is to make sure... You feel everything that comes to you. Don't skip the process of grieving the loss of your goal. You have to do it. And you'll hear people give you varying time limits or windows on when you should be doing this. From Some people will say 24 hours. Some will say 48 hours. Some will say three days. I don't like to put a defined timeline on it. Because I think for some people, it might be fairly quick. For some people, it might take a few days. So I think somewhere between three and seven days typically is what I think it takes to properly grieve the outcome of a bad race. And that's where you want to feel all the feels. Cry if you want to cry. Be mad if you want to be mad. Be frustrated. Be upset blame blame people, blame things, get mad at the weather if it was a hot day, whatever it may be, just let those feelings come as they will come. And don't feel the need to fix yourself or fix them. Just let them come. You know, I, I don't want to say wallow in them, but let those feelings marinate with you. Like feel them, recognize them, maybe even name them. But let them come exactly as they manifest, even if it can be overwhelming at times. You'll have a lot of people coming to you and they'll say, Hey, great race. You still you still finished that race, or you still ran X. There'll be a lot of people that are trying to encourage you in a lot of different ways. And, you know, that's okay. That's okay. I think all you can do in those situations is recognize that they're trying to To be helpful, they're trying to be nice. I don't think there's any point in getting mad about anybody that's trying to encourage you after a tough race. But it is okay, I think, to acknowledge it, acknowledge what they're saying, thank them for it, and then perhaps set it aside for now. Like I think of it like a gift you get for Christmas, for your birthday, you know, accept the gift. Accept that encouragement, accept that that commentary, that hug, whatever it may be, accept it. Open it. Look at it. And then decide in that moment what to do with it. You know, you may not be at a place where you're ready to take that encouragement and really let it encourage you. If you're not there, that's okay. Take that gift, set it aside. Set it aside for later because there will be a time when you're more ready to accept that. I don't recommend getting mad at people or pushing them away because that's not helpful either and you know they don't know what you're going through and I don't I think it's okay to explain to them, "Yes, thank you for that nice, you know, that encouragement. I'm just not quite ready to process it yet." So be real, don't be fake, but don't be mad either because all of those people in your life are there for a reason. They support you for a reason, and they'll be there once you get through your immediate grieving process, and you don't want to push them away. But at the same time, it's okay to acknowledge that what they're telling you, may you may not be ready to hear. So accept that gift, open it, maybe set it aside, thank them for it, and then when you're ready, you can come back to it. And again, you can very openly tell them, hey, I'm not ready to accept that yet but I really thank you for that encouragement so give yourself the time to grieve one thing I recommend during the grieving process is to try to capture some of those thoughts formally in some way do it write write notes down even if it's a bit haphazard or without much organization it doesn't have to be profound, but just acknowledge and document those things that you're feeling. I think that acknowledgement process, that documentation process, whether you like to journal or whether it's just notes in your phone, I think it's helpful to later helping you process those emotions. So feel all the feels and acknowledge it. That's step one. There's nothing more you can do in those early stages. I would, while you're doing that, resist certain natural temptations that will come. In that first initial three to seven days, you should be doing nothing more than recovering from your race and just feeling all those emotions as they come. Staying present in those emotions. Do not, do not plan, go into planning mode Do not go into immediate problem-solving mode. Do not sign up for that race a week later or two weeks later that may or may not be appropriate, but that just might be that gut reaction, that initial impulse of, I just need to go get another attempt at this so that I can get that bad taste in my mouth out from that tough race. So, grieve. Feel all those feelings. Acknowledge those feelings. Write them down so that you can process them later. But don't sign up for another race. Don't think too much about what you could have done differently. Don't think too much about how to change your training or what race to do a year from now. You need the space to get to a more calm, more logical, more measured place and while you're feeling all those emotions you're not there so while those while you're getting through those first 3 to 7 days just feel don't plan and don't sign up for that reaction race that's a bad reason for a lot of reasons two of which are one you're not ready because mentally you haven't processed what you just what you just did you're still grieving that and two likely from a training standpoint, it's not ideal to sign up for something right away anyway. You know, I I have a lot of people who want, maybe after a tough marathon, they want to sign up for another one four weeks later. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. After a marathon, unfortunately, if you finish, you've got to reset properly physically, not just mentally. And it's going to take you then resetting and then building that cake again from the bottom up. It's going to require another four to five month training block. It's not something you can just whip around and hold on to that fitness for four weeks and go get it again. So resist that temptation. Now if it's a five K or 10 K maybe, but even half marathons, I think you have to be careful about how quickly you reload because otherwise you're setting yourself up for failure again because then what's going to happen if you're not properly ready physically or mentally and you go back out for that another attempt that redemption race right away and then you don't get it and then you got two two tough races to get over and that for many people can be really difficult so in this first phase grieve process the emotions let them come but do not plan ahead yet do not overreact and jump back on that next thing. It's not time for that yet. So give yourself the three to seven days. Then and only then, once you've gotten to a more logical place, can you go back and read those encouraging words that you've set aside from your supporters that were giving, to you, giving you those right after the race. But you can also start to process what happened. And, For this part of the equation, I think you want to look at both sides. There's a temptation to just focus on the negative. What did I do wrong? What should I have done differently? That is obviously the important part of the equation for a race that didn't go as you wanted. But it's equally important to also recognize and assimilate into your training what went well. And so make sure that when you get into this process that you also acknowledge the good with the not so good or with the opportunities. And so when you're looking at what you could do, I always, or what you could do differently or how things could have gone differently. Personally, I always like to work from race day backwards in training. So start with race day. It's the most current. It's the most fresh. And think about race day in the immediate you know, days around that. Think about that experience and what potentially could have gone better or what potentially went wrong as well as what did you do right. So that means you need to be looking at your race plan, your race execution. And I would highly encourage you when you do this, to look at your splits and digest those whether you get them from your Garmin or your other other GPS watch or perhaps from the race itself. Take a look at that. How does it compare to your race plan? Did you go out too fast? Did you perhaps press a little bit too hard too early? Did you climb that challenging seventh mile hill too quickly just as one example? And so Look at race execution first and acknowledge what did I do wrong in execution? What did I do right in execution? Many times I find that for a bad race, this is where the meat is. This is where typically we can find the answers. As a part of your race day processing, I would also encourage you to look at the uncontrollable variables on race day. How was the weather? Was it warm? Was it humid? Did that affect you? Was it windy? Just like the conditions in Atlanta last weekend. Was there anything from the uncontrollable variables that may have affected you? At the Austin Marathon this year, we had a 40-minute delay in the start. And as I've talked to people that did the half marathon that day, I found a pretty consistent trend that it was more difficult for the half marathoners to start after standing in the corral for 40 minutes than it was the marathon because of the way that delayed start affected the legs, they tightened up, They weren't. it was more difficult to get down to half marathon pace from a standstill start after 40 minutes in the corral than it was for the marathon where at least in the marathon we had a little bit more time and we were going a little bit of a slower pace for our initial miles. So it ended up not being such a big deal from my observations for the marathoners, but the half marathoners really struggled with it because going from a standstill to half marathon pace was more difficult, especially given the fact that the temperatures were a little bit warmer after that 40-minute delay. So that was an external factor that has to be looked at and considered, and there may be others. But think about race day. What went well? in your execution, what could have been better with your execution in terms of your splits versus your plan, and were there any uncontrollable variables that might have caused issues. I can tell you one example for me is I did a race in 2015, and it was the the glorious Martian Marathon. And the Martian Marathon was a race that was happening in the spring. and actually that year happened to be the same weekend as the Boston Marathon. Came into the race super fit. Was trying to run something around 2:43 or so that day. Ended up running 2:47 on a day where the temperatures warmed into the 70s by the time I finished. And in the moment. Me and several other of the Rogue Runners that happened to be there that day, just, gosh, we beat ourselves up so hard for not getting what we wanted that day, and we questioned everything that we did in training, and some of us even tried to turn around and sign up for other races right away. It was just a really frustrating day for our, those of us that were in the group that did the race that year, and all of it un- irrational, all of it irrational. As I think about that race now, I ran, ended up running 247.02, I think it was. That is now just about 30 seconds, sorry, a minute and 30 seconds slower than my current PR that I ran in Houston in 2018. And now that I reflect on it, given the weather of the day, I think that may have been the best marathon I've ever run. And there was nothing wrong With what we did in prepping for that race, the only thing that went wrong was the fact that the weather was completely out of our control. And so if I would properly processed that race, recognizing that the training went well, execution went well on race day, I just got beat by the heat that day, then I wouldn't have maybe beat myself up so much and thought... I needed to change so much in training, which ultimately I was able to get to a good place on that. But it just, I needed to have that proper perspective that on that day, external factors were stronger than anything else. So so think about that as well. Again, we're talking about race day execution and then working back into the training program. And as you think about your training program, you know, there are different variables to think about there. In general, I think most of the time we're probably harder on our training programs than we should be. But the first question really is got to be, you know, how consistent was I? You know, how consistent was I? Was it the program or was I inconsistent for whatever reason? And if you were inconsistent, why? Was it a nagging injury that popped up? and? took you out a little bit and, and then you can dig into that and say, how, you know, was I managing that injury in the best way that I can? Was I recognizing the early signs of it so that I could get that prehab started to prevent it from taking me out? Or perhaps maybe I didn't do those things and then it took me out for longer than it should have. Was there some life and scheduling stuff that got in the way? You know, was I able to be consistent? And if not, why? Not to beat yourself up, but just to objectively say what's in the way, what's keeping you from being as consistent as you can be. So that's something to ask. And then, you know, as a part of that, you know, is there anything in training that you need to tweak? Should it, should you be doing more mileage? Should your quality workouts look a little bit different? Should your recovery be more appropriate in that maybe you need to slow down on those easy runs so that you can get the most on those quality days or get the most out of your long runs? How did all of those variables fit together? In general, my best advice, though, is to not make major tweaks in training. Now, it's one thing if you're going from one coach to another and, That other coach has a different philosophy and maybe there are some, you know, wholesale changes you're making as a part of that transition. That's one thing. But if you have an established coach that you believe in and trust and or if you're following a program online or through some other means that you believe in and trust and maybe has worked for you in the past, then I would tell you to resist the temptation to overreact or to make wholesale training changes i just typically don't think that's productive or healthy rather i tend to like to see athletes tweak things around the margin maybe make small adjustments here or there that allow you to get the most out of yourself that is typically where the magic is is not in wholesale changes but in small tweaks to your program in order to get the best out of yourself And by the way, as I mentioned earlier, when you're recognizing those small tweaks, also make sure you're recognizing all the victories that have come with you in the training block. Maybe you ran more miles than ever. Maybe you nailed that workout before the big race. Maybe there's a lot of evidence that you were in in good shape going into your race and and those things might outweigh those those positives from your training block might outweigh the small little tweaks that you need to make. So don't make wholesale changes. Resist that temptation in general. It's likely not going to be where the magic is. So, you know, again, as I, as I mentioned, as a part of that, you want to look at recovery. The last thing I want to say as a part of considering changes to your training is that it's entirely possible that you should do nothing different because of the outcome of your race. It's entirely possible that you should do nothing different. I like to say there are training results and there are racing results. In the ideal world, those two things sync up magically and you're able to you know, have rainbows and unicorns singing in great harmony over the fact that you had the perfect training block and the perfect PR at the end. Or personal best. The reality is, those things don't always happen. But you can have a really good, maybe not perfect, but a great training block and still not have the race result match. That is possible. And not only is it possible, it happens a lot for a whole variety of reasons. And so there's a temptation to throw the baby out with the bathwater when you're making these looks or when you're taking these looks at training. But most likely, that training that you were doing is exactly the same training that got you to another PR in a different race or that got you to another good outcome in a different situation. And so it's more likely that you need, again, tweaks around the margins or maybe in some cases that you don't need to change anything to do with your training. You just need to keep plugging, keep working, and give yourself that opportunity to line up again and have another shot at it. And so don't. Forget that part of the equation. Do not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Most likely, you just need to be consistent with the work that you're doing. Make small tweaks around the margin. Make small tweaks around race execution to get that more right. And then give yourself an opportunity for more at-bats. So that's the middle part, process. And again, I agree. I believe in writing things down. Write down those things that worked well that you want to keep that you want to do again, that you want to make sure that you get right every single time. And then write down those things that you need to work on or improve on next time so that you know exactly what you need to do. And if that list has nothing on it because the weather was just hot and you got a bad break, then that's okay to recognize that, yeah, maybe you just need to get have better luck with the weather. And that's okay. Then finally, let's talk about getting ready to race again. Putting the shoes back on. Again, not right away. I believe you should reset. Start over. Get back to fundamentals. Rebuild your base. Go back through a periodized training program. Before you get back to that next attempt at your PR, at smashing your goal, at whatever it may be, give yourself that time to properly Reset the system mentally, physically, and then rebuild your fitness back to another peak. That's important. But what do you do? How do you get ready for that race? Because, as I said, it's easy to be gun shy the next time you go, thinking, I'm only as good as my last race. What if it happens again? There's a lot of fears that come with lining up again after a tough race. And so I wanted to give a few tips on this before. We wrap things up here. First, I highly recommend you get one or two prep races before that next big goal race so that you can get that bad taste out of your mouth. Perhaps, and I call this sort of getting a win. Maybe you need to get a win, you know, get a win in a different race distance that might be a prep race to your goal, eventual, you know, next goal race. You might need a win that can come in the form of a perfectly executed workout that might come within a race. You might need an experience where you might start conservatively in a race with the goal of finishing that last mile as fast as you can so that you can get that positive experience and know that you can close out a race really strongly if that's maybe the opposite of what happened in your tough race. so. Give yourself some at-bats in the next buildup so that you can get that taste out of your mouth, maybe work through some of the mental doldrums and fears that come with lining up again, and you can do that ideally in a situation that's not that next peak race, then hopefully get that stuff out of your system and don't carry as much of it into that next big goal race. So that's one point of advice. Second point of advice is to acknowledge the fear. Acknowledge the insecurities associated with that next big goal race. That's so, so important. As I've said recently, I think in a few different forums, including this one, and I steal this from Brene Brown, who I saw talk at the University of Texas. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage and fear must go together. Because without fear, there would be no courage to overcome that fear. So the fact that you have fear is completely normal. So acknowledge it. Own the fact that it's there. Name it. When you name something, it takes away some of the power. When you objectively recognize it. And believe me this fear is going to come. It's going to come again and again, and it never goes away as somebody who has raced, you know, 20 marathons and, you know, I don't know. I think it's 140 or so road, road races in the last 20 years. The fear is always there. Whether I had a bad race last time or not, there's always insecurities. There's always anxiety. There's always fear. And you you develop better ways of coping, but it's always there. And so don't think that you're weak because you're having fear going into that next race. One, it's normal because you had a big goal. Two, it's going to be there no matter what. So just acknowledge it. Let it in so that you can move past it. Two, a couple tips for moving past it. One of those is just being present in the moment focusing on what you can control when you have those fears creep in or when you think about that point in the race where it might get hard at mile 10 of a half or mile 20 of a marathon or mile 2 of a 5k when you think about those moments don't let yourself because it's easy to get overwhelmed trying to run the whole race in your head at once and you just can't do anything about mile 10 when you're at the start line you can't do anything about mile 20 until you run that first mile and while certainly you should be preparing mentally for the battles that may come there that's very different than getting overwhelmed by the anxiety around what might happen at those miles so stay present when those worries come focus on the steps right in front of you what can you do what can you think? to prepare for the race at hand. That's the best approach to getting past that fear. And depending on where you are in your preparation, it could be something like studying the course map. It could be something like reviewing your race plan, developing your in-race mantras. It could be planning that pre-race meal. There's a lot of things you can do to prepare for the race. And so go to those modes when you have that anxiety. Or when you're thinking about mile, the hill at mile 10, when you're at mile one, don't worry about it. Focus on exactly the pace you need to run in mile one to get to where you need to be so that you can put yourself in position to do something great at the end. So that's point one. Stay present. Go from looking far out to the future of what could happen to focus, focusing on that next step. What can you think or do in the next moment? to prepare to smash your goal that's one thing the second thing is assume the power position i was talking about this with one of my athletes on last week as she was preparing for a race this weekend go to that power place kara goucher talks about it in her book strong and she talks about having a power uniform. People also talk about having power poses. It's about this idea that you're strong already. You are enough. And so what do you need to do to remind yourself of that? And for some people that might be putting on a uniform where they've run well before, something that gives them that feeling that they're going to feel fast. It could be shoes. It could be a singlet could be whatever it may be, but also there's the, so there's the literal sense for kind of that uniform, that power uniform, but then there's also the figurative sense of being strong as you, your uniform, just as you are, is a power uniform, your, your person, your body. And so owning that strength. To do that, sometimes you got to think about all the work that you put in or think about those races where you have demonstrated that. Think about those workouts where you crushed it. Bring yourself into that power position, that power pose, so that you can fight back the fear or push that fear away after you've acknowledged it. Because we're all, we're all strong. Anybody who's in this game of trying to get better as a runner, who's listening to this podcast, who's taking notes based on what I'm saying, anybody that has that mentality is strong. And so you just have to own that strength. Acknowledge the fear, acknowledge it, acknowledge it's there, but own your own strength and then just go execute on the next step. That's all you can do. So that's my best advice about how to get ready for that next race. Hopefully it goes well and you get that PR. The athlete that I was talking to last week, she got it. She did it. Everything worked out as we had discussed. But sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes people have a string of bad races. I know it's happened to me and it will happen to others. And with each one of those bad races, it can be more discouraging. But I would encourage you to go back through these same steps. Grieve. Figure out those initial, or let those initial emotions come while not making rash decisions. Process it all. Make small tweaks, but get back to doing the work. Get back to training. And then step up to the plate again. That's the only way some would say you know the some would say that the key to success is to fail more and so you got to give yourself that next chance don't be afraid to line up again and toe the line as many as it times as many times as it takes to get that goal for me in the marathon back in 2004 and 2014 it took me 10 years i think that was 8 or 9 marathons before i got another pr but i kept showing up kept towing the line Sure, I had fears that I might never PR again, but ultimately I did, and I have since, and I believe that there are more still to come because I kept doing the work, kept showing up as I talked about Des says, that's all you can do, and if you love and fall in love with the journey and the process as much as the outcomes, then that becomes a little bit easier, but... Again, the only way to get that next outcome is just to keep doing the work. Put your head down and give yourself that next opportunity. So hopefully you will all do that. And for those that haven't had a tough race recently, just know that they may come, file this one away, and put it to work when you need it. Or maybe pass it on to somebody who needs it, who you know that may have had that tough race recently just give them a week to process their emotions first. Anyway, that is how I want to wrap this one up. 173. Thanks to all of you for listening. As a reminder, you can now support us on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com forward slash rogue you can also find out more information about rogue at RogueRunning.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at rogue running until next time. We will talk to you soon.